Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. As a matter of fact, we ended Friday night uh, concerning families and praying for our families and uh, probably out of all the nights it just is one of the nights that just moved me personally the most uh, and maybe it was perhaps because at the beginning of that week I pulled that old uh, dry erase board in my office and I just threw the word family up there and started brainstorming and going every direction things that spun off from family and uh, and then uh, I left it in there all week and as other things come to me I just scratched uh, you wouldn't want to get inside my brain, folks. It's messy. And uh, I just scratched and did some things because I felt like God was just laying family uh, on my heart, families, uh, families of the church. And then to come here uh, Friday night and be praying with our family and brought, brought my kids and put them in between my wife and I as we prayed and had our arms around them and praying for them. And I'm crying and snot and talking to God. And, and then to feel my daughter where I had my arm around her reach up and put her arm around me. And then before long, I feel two little hands on my back, which was my son. Let me tell you something. There's nothing in this world. There's nothing in this world, and there's not in one amount of money that I would trade for that right there. That I would trade for that right there. Amen. And so this morning, I want to talk about family. And I want to talk about family-driven faith. I want to talk about family-driven faith. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 Verse number one, the Bible says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shalt talk of them when thou, thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Amen. Again today. I'd like to just talk to us for the next few moments about family-driven faith. Family-driven faith. Lord, I come to you right now. I'm appreciative, God, of all the songs of Zion this morning. God, that have been sung, Lord, people that have participated in the singing. Lord Jesus, raising their hands, showing forth some type of worship or praise. God, unto you. I pray, oh God, help me, Lord Jesus, to, God, transfer today, God, what I have felt in my spirit, God, throughout this week. 
God, concerning families, Lord, faith-driven, Lord Jesus, families, family-driven faith. I pray, oh God, today, help us, Lord Jesus, to have understanding, God, and you're able to put some building blocks, Lord, in our homes, Lord, together, Lord, in the next few moments, and we'll praise you and thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Family, family-driven faith. Uh, today, we, we, we can no longer expect the traditional model of two married parents rearing their biological children to be the norm in society today because that is, that is not the norm. Uh, and so as a result of that, we can't expect that to be the norm within the church uh, because it's not the norm in our culture or in the norm in our society. As a matter of fact, today, uh, family frequently times uh, frequently means uh, a blended family, what, what they term today as a, a blended family or even what may be considered as a single parent family, all right? There's, there's all sorts of different arrangements uh, today that necessitate uh, what we now call a family. And for that matter, folks, if we were to go in the Word of God from Genesis uh, to Revelation, there are all sorts of family arrangements uh, that, 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 that have stemmed from uh, the original in Genesis, all kinds of different sort of family arrangements that appear in the Scriptures. And I know this right here, if I say nothing else, this is going to help somebody today. Right now, it's about ready to help somebody. Many of those families were dysfunctional. We can go home. We already taken up an offering. Let's just leave right now. Amen. We're feeling, oh, man, I tell you what, I've been encouraged already this morning. But many of those families throughout Scripture were dis dysfunctional families. And so, uh, in reality, this, this thing, this model of the original family model has been destroyed in many respects. Uh, that which was devised in the very beginning by God through Adam and Eve and their children, that has been destroyed and one of the ways or means that that model, that original model of family has been destroyed is due to it being redefined. It being redefined. Uh, the concept even, we talk about things like family time. Is anybody lacking some of that? The concept of family time is becoming a little archaic. It's becoming a thing of the past. Uh, even it seems like, I'm just talking about the, the world that we're living in, and, and sadly, it creeps into our homes, amen, Christian homes and Christian families, that even sometimes whenever such time would present itself, family time, if you were to call that, when it would present itself, it may consist of family members at home, but each of them doing their own thing. The definition of family time, family time is everybody's at home, but they're not necessarily interacting not necessarily engaging one another, not necessarily uh, making any memories. They might be being entertained by another source rather than entertaining each other. Family time, even the idea of family time has changed. And so therefore, uh, we are still, although we're all home, we're still detracted from one another. Uh, we're still not uh, investing or, or making those memories with one another. And so uh, it's just been reduced that everybody's at home at the same time and they're interacting with other things outside of mom and dad, parent with child, sibling with sibling, uh, so on and so forth. See, and, and family, the idea of family has changed greatly because in the past, 
families were a safe haven. If you, if you were going to find safety anywhere, you was going to find it among your family. You, you, you could feel comfortable. Uh, you, you, you could feel accepted uh, from your mother and your father and your siblings. There was a sense of camaraderie that was in the family. They were safe havens. Uh, if you was going to have any sense of esteem, it was going to be built at home. It was going to be built at home and supported by the home and those that were involved of your home, even in spite that they knew you the best. Uh, they knew all your little quirks and all your little isms and the attitudes and mood changes and everything that you had. But family was just that way. You, you was going to be accepted at home. You was going to be accepted as a member of a family. And families were very, very safe, it seemed like, in times past. And, and, and they were a network to cherish People cherished their families. They cherished their families. And they were a network to be cherished by. People were cherished by their families. Amen. Years ago. But now, and I'm speaking about just concerning even this last year, now some of the most unthinkable evil deeds and reports of murder happen within the context of family. As a matter of fact, this past year, and you'll remember some of these, but in South Carolina, a 32-year-old father faced murder charges after he led police to the bodies of his five children, ages one to eight, who were dumped on the side of an Alabama road. And according to authorities, he had, he had drove through some states and had each of those kids in garbage bags in his car for quite some time. Family. In Georgia, a 33-year-old father is charged with intentionally leaving his toddler son to die in a hot SUV strapped in his car seat for seven hours. And his excuse was, well, I just forgot. Yet the story says that while his son is dying in the car seat from heat, being in there, he's sexting a lady. Family. Furthermore, in Utah, a 39-year-old mother, and 32, 33, 30, man, that's hitting all around my age. In Utah, a 39-year-old mother was charged with strangling or suffocating six of her newborns from 1996 to 2006 because police say she's addicted to drugs and she just did not care for them. Family! Now, used to, you would be afraid of lending your children to other people's families. But now, it's a fearful fact that they reside in the family of their own mother and their own father. It was a safe institution. It was a womb that God created for someone to develop and be nurtured in this life. But now that has changed. Dramatically, that has changed, folks. And so we, we've went from, listen to me, we've went from a society where a family is comfortable, listen to me, with taking the life of a child before it exits the womb to now that they have no remorse for taking the life of a child after it's a few months or a few years old living in their house forming bonds. And maybe that's the problem. There's no bonds formed anymore between parents and children. And so they don't think twice about ending a life. Family. Family. And so it may seem ridiculous in Deuteronomy chapter 6, folks. It may seem ridiculous 
that God would speak to the Israelites and he would begin to instruct them. Moses, I want you to tell the Israelites that they need to instruct their children. They need to teach their children and they need to spend some valuable time doing so, teaching their children. Why are you saying this, God? This is ridiculous for you to be telling us because God could see down the road. He saw the day whenever the last prophet of the Old Testament Malachi would speak some of his last words before 400 years of silence and say, hey, there's going to come a time that the Spirit of the Lord is going to have to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children back to their fathers. God already seen down the road that we were going to be at the juncture, that we are even at today that the dynamic of the family, the definition of the family was going to be greatly different than what it formerly was. He knew that if there was going to be any great factions, it was going to be among the family. The Bible speaks up, and I'm not trying not to get excited, but the Bible speaks of an hour where there would be two members against three or three against two, mothers against daughters, amen, fathers against their sons. He spoke of that day. And the reason why... Is because parental love was going to die out. Parental compassion was going to die out. There's going to be a generation. The Bible says in Judges 2.10 that there was a generation of elders after that had outlived Joshua that had brought them into the promised land. There was a generation of elders that outlived Joshua that there was a generation coming after them. Look at it. Also, all that generation were gathered into their fathers, that generation that outlived Joshua. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. God knew that was going to happen. That's the reason why back at Deuteronomy, he's telling these Israelite fathers, teach your children, ingrain the commands, the statutes, the judgments into the hearts and the minds of your children. Because if you don't keep on doing this, there will be a generation that doesn't know me, that doesn't identify with me, that doesn't realize what I deem as acceptable and as is honorable in my sight. As a matter of fact, folks, a very major contributing factor of Israel going through the cycle of backsliding time and time again as a nation was because it was a failure. What it really was a result of, it was a failure from fathers and mothers, even then, from teaching their children the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments of the Lord. They, they failed in transmitting what they had, what they believed, what they endorsed, on to the next generation. And as a result of it, a generation becomes lost. As a result of it, and I'm, listen, I know there's, listen to me right now. I know there's exceptions to the rule. I know you can invest everything that can still can happen. I understand that. Amen, I understand that. But for Israel, the common problem was they were not transferring their faith. They were not transferring the doctrines and the dogmas of God to the next generation. And as a result of it, there was separation from God. Whether it be a generation that didn't know God, didn't uphold the standards of God, didn't uphold the love of God. And so we're dealing with people then the whole family dynamic is changing away from what God absolutely intended for it to be. Can someone say amen? amen. And so Moses started Deuteronomy chapter number 6. He starts it with these words. Now, these are the commandments. In the Hebrew, it is singular. Now, this is the commandment. Amen. And that commandment was solely this. 
and that was the commandment was a call to the next generation, their generation. It was a call for them to involve themselves in a love relationship with God. That, in essence, was the commandment. We have all these 400 and some odd commandments and all this, and you remember where he said, well, the, 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 the commandments hang on these two. Firstly, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And the second is like to that, you'll love your neighbor. But what it all is bound up in, in essence, is a love relationship with God. Everything else was subpoints, amen, that supported the love relationship with God. And so God's saying, you need, you as parents and fathers and mothers need to teach your children that they need a relationship with God for themselves. Furthermore, and I, this has just come to me this week, but I feel it necessary to say something. And that is this, I appreciate around here. I believe that I'm looking at a group of people today that are very loyal to me as a pastor. You're loyal to me. I believe you would stand up for me if it was necessary, you'd stand up for me. I believe you would bend over backwards if I just came to you and asked you to do something, that you would do something. But here's what I fear. Listen to me this morning. Here's what I fear, that I would rear a generation of saints that would be loyal to their pastor but disloyal to God. You gotta be more than loyal to me. This is not, this is not where heaven's taking you, not your relationship with me. It's your relationship with God. I would be a fool to have you build a good relationship with me or just an institution called the church and you miss your relationship with God. Help me be as a father of the church today and teach my children. You gotta have your own relationship with the master. You gotta have your own relationship with God. I don't want to carry the burden. Well, I'm loyal to you. Being loyal to me doesn't make you loyal to God. You must have a relationship with God. You must. You must. It might be I would do anything for you, Pastor. The idea has to be this. i do anything for you, God. And don't take me wrong, I appreciate it. I thank you, but it must be God-directed. God-directed. He says this commandment, this love relationship, he says it consists of, of statutes. Those are limitations as some perceive protection as others perceive. Prescribed acts decrees these this 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 commandment this love relationship consisted of judgments justices procedures decisions that's what it consisted of In verse number 1 he said it also consisted of this love relationship consisted of promises and blessings that accompany obedience Promises and blessings that accompany my obedience. Now here's the thing. God told him in verse number 2 of Deuteronomy 6. Throw it up there, sis. In verse number 2 of Deuteronomy 6. The commandment wasn't just applicable to the generation he was talking to. Right? He said, but to your son and your son's son. Now, let's think here. Let's think here, standing in that crowd that day, 
was a father and mother, per se, that didn't have any children yet. Uh-huh. How is this applicable then? How, how, how was their sons and grandsons to know this? How, how was it going to be made known now that they were given this information? I mean, copies of the law were scarce. Was it like they had the privileges we have and grab a Bible and look it up for themselves? How were they going to find out? How were they going to have any understanding or knowledge about this? Well, it was going to be the responsibility of the family that they were born into in order to teach those precepts unto those children. And can I back up and say this morning, it not being Father's Day, particularly it was the responsibility of the fathers to open their mouth and say, Son, this is where the Lord hath brought us. Hmm. Son, this is where the Lord hath brought us and this is where the Lord wants to take us. It's important not just to tell your kids where God wants to take them, but tell them where God has brought you as a family. Oh, someone say hallelujah. This, this is where God has taken this. this, this was, listen, this was a lesson. If you look at it here in Deuteronomy 6, this wasn't a lesson that was just regulated to the temple. This isn't something that they just talked about at church. This wasn't just something that was suitable for public worship. But it was intended according to God. Looking at Deuteronomy 6. It was intended to be shared in the context of the family. He says you teach your children. And if you go down through there, he's talking about thine house, thy door, thy gates. He's not talking about God's temple. He's not talking about the synagogue. He's saying you put the law on your door. You put the law at your gates. You put the law in your house. <laughs> he wasn't regulating it just to the church. He says you teach your children diligently. Teach your kids in your house, in your home, at your gates. Folks, we cannot fail. We cannot fail as parents to pass on, or grandparents, to pass on godly traits as a part of our family makeup, our family pattern to our children. We cannot fail. Let me tell you this. If we don't, who is? Because there's so many voices around us. They'll get an ideology from somewhere. But it may be flawed. It may be false. It may be incorrect. It may not abide by that. Honey, if they're going to hear the way that it is, let it be from a mama. Let it be from a daddy. Let it be from a grandparent. Honey, this is who we are. This is what we are. This is what God's Word says. Don't you allow exterior voices to be teaching your children and your grandchildren. Raise your voice. Transfer that godly, godly trait into their lives. The church is a wonderful aid. The church is a great teacher. Three times a week. But it's what's being taught in the home. Whether it be by word or by deed. All the other times they're not in church. Three times a week we got you all here. Three times a week. Say, maybe at best, maybe let's just shoot for an hour and a half each service. Right? Four and a half hours. 
in all, right? Four and a half hours out of all the hours in a week. We got y'all. It's a great teacher, but there's a more consistent teacher beyond this pulpit right here. And it's found in your home. It's found behind your closed doors, among your families. And the question is this, is what's being taught in the home harmonizing what's being taught here at the church? So my admonition is this, please don't get disgruntled and think and expect the church to influence your family more than your home does. Oh God, I'm really... And again, there are exceptions. But why risk it? There have been exceptions where the home's just been hell-bound. And somehow those three times a week, the kids latched on to, and they're in the church as a result of it today. There are exceptions, but folks, don't risk it. Make sure you take the opportunity because they're going to be at home. Well, they're not at home as much as they used to. Well, I understand that too. But I guarantee you they're probably there more than they are right here during the week. Teach, teach, teach diligently, diligently, diligently. You've got to be purposeful and intentional about doing it. Someone say amen. The primary reason Noah built an ark the primary reason Noah built an ark was not for the purpose of saving the naysayers in the world at that time. The primary purpose, Hebrews eleven seven. the primary purpose that Noah built an ark, yes, God told him to, but secondly, to the saving of his family. Noah says, I'm going to take time right here. Noah says, I'm going to invest right here. Noah says, I'm going to make some resources right here. And I'm going to involve my family in doing what I'm doing right here concerning the ark. I'm going to tell my son to grab a hammer. I'm going to tell him to grab a plane. I'm going to tell him to put that piece of wood right there. And I'm going to explain to them, this is the reason why we're building the ark. There's a bad flood coming. And I want my family saved. I want you in it. I don't. I'm telling you, as fathers and mothers today, we need to be preparing our ark and we need to be involving our kids in it. There's been too many arcs prepared that parents didn't involve their kids in and they got in the ark. They don't know why they're in the ark and they didn't have no investment in the ark because the parents didn't involve them in the process. Johnny, when you get in this ark, I want you to know that your hand set that tim piece of timber over there. When you get in this ark, I want you to understand you, 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 you took a whole day chopping the wood for that, that flank over there. When you get in the ark, I want you to understand I'm in the ark because if I weren't, I would be like some of those that are screaming on the outside that can only flounder in the water for so much longer before they die and drown. Someone say Amen. This is the reason why it needs to be done. And look, 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 look. Priorities. Priorities. Priorities in the family. Priorities in the family. The first thing that Noah did when the ark was all done and finished and the water was about ready to come, he didn't make sure that all the animals were in the ark. 
He didn't make sure an elephant was in there and a snake was in there. That isn't the first priority that Noah made sure of when it came to that ark was said and done. Do you know what his first priority was? Before anything else gets in here, before there's any other people that gets in here, before there's any animals that get in here, mama, get in the ark. Son, get in the ark. Daughter-in-law, get in the ark. Why? Because there's something I'm going to make sure. I've been building this and preparing this for my family. And I've been teaching them about what is it this is all about. And it would be a discredit to me and my name to do all of this and have my own family not be in the ark. Someone hear me. We need a family-driven faith. Noah made it according to the pattern given to him by God. He didn't say, God, you know, I'd really like to make a little adjustments and alterations to the pattern. No. He did it as God prescribed. They didn't have a family committee and vote about whether they should or should not do it differently. Someone say amen. amen. So it had been a grand tragedy if Noah would have invested the time, the energy, and something that was life-saving and then not clue his family in on it. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.20 concerning this family concept, Peter, look at it now, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. He's referring back to that time, the days of Noah. While the ark was a preparing wherein few, everybody say few. That is, eight souls were saved by water. Peter, Peter is in reflection here. He speaks of the time Noah built in the ark and speaks of Noah's family. And he says in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing. Look how Peter describes this he says we're in few everybody say few that is eight souls were saved by water now you gotta you gotta give Peter here a little license of humanity because that wasn't his family and so it wasn't his family he could look on the episode and said there were just a few almost undercuts the importance of who was saved by the ark. There were just few. But folks, I guarantee you, if you ask Noah, his terminology and verbiage would not be wherein few eight souls were saved, but wherein many or much. Why? Because those eight souls mattered to Noah because they were his Peter calls them few. I guarantee you Noah would have called them much more because that was his family. And the Bible says, the writer says in Hebrews, back at Hebrews eleven seven, the writer of Hebrews says, by the which, speaking about preparing this ark for the family, can you go back to Hebrews 11, 11 7? He says, by the, by the which he, Noah, condemned the world. So, he prepared an ark to the saving of his family by the which he condemned the world. Noah condemned the world by building an ark. More specifically, Noah condemned the world by making an ark for the saving of his 
household in his family because he lived during a time that families were deranged and there was wickedness and there was separation. He condemned the world because he did something for the family in a time it wasn't kosher, proper, or even thought of to do anything for the family. That's where we're living, folks. You start trying to do things to keep the family together, keep it online with God and spiritual things. In doing so, you'll condemn the world because they're not trying as hard. If you're telling members in your family, hey, I tell you what, we're turning some things off tonight. We're all going to eat at the dinner table and eat together as a family. Don't want anybody on your phones. Don't want anybody on your electronic devices. We're going to turn the TV off so it ain't blaring in the other room. We're going to say, what are you doing? You're condemning the world. Someone hear me. Because you're trying to regroup and pull and harness in the family. Amen. The image, if you look at the image in Deuteronomy 6, the image in Deuteronomy 6, is not a synagogue-centered event or a temple-centered event or a temple-centered faith, but a faith that is family-centered. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy, it's a, we're talking about family-driven faith. In 2 Timothy 1 and 5, the Bible says, Paul, he's speaking to Timothy, he says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, that is in thee which, was, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice I am persuaded that in thee also Paul is talking to Timothy here and he says when I call to remembrance the unfeigned or basically means sincere the sincere faith that is in you which was in your church when I think about the sincere faith that was in you and was in your Sunday school teacher when I think about the sincere faith that was in you and was in your pastor. No, that's not what he said to Timothy. He says, whenever I consider the sincere faith that was in you and in your grandma and in your mother, what is he saying? He's saying your faith was germinated from and by your family. The church is very helpful, but the church cannot take the lead. Your family must. What we're looking at here is not really for families to support the church. We're looking for churches to support the family. Uh It must begin. It must start at home. It must start at home. Moses did not command. Look, he did not command. He was talking to all Israel as mothers and fathers. He did not bring the Levitical priesthood together and say, teach them diligently. He didn't say, priests, teach them diligently that attend the church and come to public worship. No, 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 no. The responsibility was the mothers and the fathers and the grandparents, the family. Well, pastor, glory, amen, hallelujah. That's so easy for you to say because you're the pastor. Folks, listen to me. Being the pastor of this church, I don't hinge the spiritual well-being of my kids just on the few times that they're here, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday each week. As a matter of fact, just here recently, maybe a week or a week and a half ago, Mariah's nine now, Trevor's five, he's starting to read, and so on and so forth. And so with that, we have started at our home, family devotions in our home, 
Uh, whenever we get it in, hope so there's some, listen, there's sometimes it don't happen. But to the best of our ability, we start family devotions at our home each night before the kids go to bed. We got a devotional from the Pentecostal publishing house because I wanted to make sure the doctrine was right. I didn't want to be using something that was going to, I was going to have to alter and change and all this garbage. And so I, I brought a family devotion into our home. Amen. And it, it involves a special little word at the beginning that nobody knows. They're supposed to try to guess what that word is by listening to the story and the scripture and the context. Amen. And so we're scripture reading and there's a story. And sometimes we interject their names in the story because you would be amazed how much that harnesses their attention when they hear their name in the story. And we do that. And whenever we get done, we're all gathered in the living room at this point in time. We're all sitting in the living room on the, on the, on the couch somewhere. Everything else is off. There's silence in our home except for the word of God being spoken. And when everything is read, then the kids are trying to guess what that secret word there is in the beginning based upon the story, based upon the scriptures, based upon their understanding from listening to the word of God. And so we talk about it and we discuss the scripture and we, we, we talk about the scripture and they talk about the scripture and there's dialogue from the smallest to the oldest about the word of God. Now let me tell you something. That takes time. And let me tell you, it takes being intentional. And it's just one way that outside of me being in the pulpit, I can teach my kids at home. Why, pastor? Because I want them to feel comfortable about talking about the Bible now so that as they grow older and they have, they will have questions it will not be an odd ordeal to discuss it then. Amen. Amen. It will not be something that is taboo. I want that. It blessed my heart. We were sick two weeks ago. That didn't bless my heart. But we were sick. And everybody had this stomach virus. And it was gross at our house. And in one night, it went Trevor, Dawn, and then me. And so me and Don's both sick trying to take care of Trevor. And that was just a lot of fun. I had a lot of respect for my parents whenever all of us were sick at one time that I remember. I don't know how it all got pulled off, but let me tell you, it's gross. But nevertheless, we're still kind of running fever and on the men. Wednesday, we're not able to come. We were, no, 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 no. Uh, I still had times that I felt quite nauseous on Wednesday. I'd be up and then back in bed for a time, but we were sick and stuff. And so someone comes by to pick up my little girl to go to church. We're all sick. She ain't staying home with us. She's going to church. That's right. That's right. And so she went to church. Trevor, he's well enough to realize it. You mean I don't get to go to church? And he goes in his room, gets down on the floor like this, and begins to bawl and squall because he cannot go to church. Honey, I'd rather hear that a thousand times. I hope when he's 16 and he's being sick, he'll say, Dad, you know what? It's really bumming me out. I can't be in God's house. What? Why? Why do they have that type of mentality? Because not only at church, but at home. I try to tell them there's nothing like God's house. There's nothing like being in the house of the Lord. Honey, if you can get there, get there. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of faith. It's a place of strength. Go, 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 go. I try to teach them diligently. There's nothing like being a child of God.
Deuteronomy 6 and verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in the time to come, saying, what meaneth the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord shewed signs and wonders, great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Back at verse 20, once again, he said, When thy son asketh thee in time he did not say if your son's going to ask. He said when your son is going to ask. Amen? It's not a question about if they're going to have some questions. They're going to have questions. And listen, they're going to have questions about God. They're going to have questions about the Word of God. They're going to have questions about doctrines and dogmas that we uphold and support and God's word upholds and supports. And I fear that sometimes when those questions will come, some parents may feel like their authority is being challenged just because the question is being posed. This is just me, and I can be wrong today. It's Sunday morning. I might be wrong. But I suspect sometimes the reason why a parent may feel like their authority is challenged when such a question is asked, asked about God or about the Scripture, it might really be they feel challenged because they don't know the answer. And it's easier to portray, I'm the authority, don't challenge me, than it is for you to seek out an answer. And listen... Seeking out an answer many times. Ask your pastor, that's fine, that's well. But you know what my dreather would be? That you would get you and that child and sit down together and look in the Word of God and uncover the answer for yourselves because there's a couple things going to happen. You're going to remember it beyond that day because you dug it out yourself rather than just Call in 618 Uh-huh. You're going to, it's going to stay with you and it's going to stay with them. And there's something being learned by digging it out for yourself. The, 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 high, the high likeliness is this. It's been talked, out, talked about before from right here. Oh, I, man, I didn't mean to. The voice is on silent. All right? Because sometimes when the questions come, it's, you know, because I said so. Well, man, that might be a real good response for whenever you tell them to clean the room. That's a horrible response when they're asking a question about the Bible or God. And please don't you ever throw off on, well, the pastor makes us do it. Or it's our religion. What are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching your grandkids? Well, it's the pastor makes us do it. It's our religion. 
Honey, you need to get a little deeper than that. It goes beyond me. Family driven faith. Family driven faith. See, because there's certain topics as a child matures that they're going to grow curious about. I mean, just even consider folks' natural things. Across the board, there comes up questions in their minds. You know, I, I remember when the kids were younger, eventually, you know, they're interested in, they're interested in the family dynamics, such as whose uncle, aunt, whose sister to who, who's, you know, how all those family, isn't it neat when they start putting together how those family uh, relationships work and how those connections are? And as they get older, I know this, uh, this used to be taboo years ago, but sex is going to be a subject. That must be addressed. And for this generation at younger ages, they're going to have questions. Listen, let me tell you something. They need to be getting the answers from their family. Because while you don't talk about it, everyone around them is. It needs to be talked about in the family. And so among all these, God told Moses, he said, your sons are going to want to know about these testimonies and these statutes and these judgments. How am I doing here? I'm doing horrible. That's okay. So they're going to they're going to want about these testimonies, these statutes, and these judgments. And again, it's not it's not if they ask; it's just when they ask. And so in verse twenty one, you throw it back up there, system Deuteronomy six twenty one, and he says, "Here here is the proper response." He says, "You let them know that we were bound, we were bound, but God delivered us by a mighty hand." with signs and wonders and, and that while there uh, I'm here I'm telling the story while there was darkness in Egypt and displeasure in Egypt there was light and there, there was rejoicing in Goshen and, and God he goes on God brought us out uh, to bring us in and not for us just to flounder by ourselves but he brought us in into the promises even of our fathers and I'm here now those statutes and those judgments and those testimonies that you're asking about that the Lord commanded us and delivered to us look at verse 24 look at Deuteronomy 6 24 so they're just asking about these testimony statutes and judgments he tells them in the Lord brought us out bring us in he delivered us from Egypt all this stuff but look, what, look what's going on here. They continue to answer questions that were not even asked, but perhaps they perceived was pondered on in the mind. This is what faith-driven family, family-driven faith is about. It's about answering questions before they ever come out the mouth, but you can already sense that they're happening in the mind because he goes on, he anticipates that this question is there as well. And they're asking, why, 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 you ask that we should keep these statutes and, and testimonies and judgments versus, you know, what are they? But now he's thinking, they're probably wanting to know why, why we're keeping these statutes and testimonies and judgments. Look what he tells them in verse 24. These statutes and testimonies and judgments, they are for our. He didn't say mine. Or yours, he included the family. He said, therefore, our good always. He did not say, Johnny, it's good 
for you to keep these things. When you're at Wednesday night Bible study. It's good that you're in alignment Sunday morning and Sunday night. No. He said these things are good always. Sunday, Monday, in private, in public, among the church, among the world. They, this is not a la carte buffet. Do it when you want to. Don't do it when you have to. Do it when you want to blend in, but when you want to blend somewhere else, do as Rome does. No. These things are good always. And you know what? He continues to tell them. These things, these statutes, these testimonies, these judgments, they they did and they have been proven to be a means of preservation for our Family, the statutes, the judgments on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in public, in private, around the world, around the church, they've proven to preserve our family. He goes on in verse 25, our righteousness, I'm going over, it's overtime, hallelujah. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah said. There's filthy rags. But look what happens in Scripture. When they as a family would observe to do the statutes and the testimonies and the judgments. When they would observe to do these things. Or whenever they would be obedient to God. Amen. In these things. It altered the condition of their righteousness. Because they were becoming by doing those things more like God. More like the one who saved them. Listen folks. The excuse might be, well, pastor, there is never a good time to talk about these things. Let's rephrase that. There is never a bad time to talk about these things. There's never a bad time to talk about a child and a parent and a family's love relationship with God. He said when you sit, when you walk, when you recline, when you rise up in the privacy of your home, in your public life, teach it, teach it, teach it, teach it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Because the fact is, while you are talking, you are teaching. The Jerusalem, the the Jewish kids would hear these things at the new moons, at the major feasts, at Sabbaths, holy days. They would hear these recitings. They would hear these laws recited at these special times. Okay? Listen. But their understanding of these things would be sharpened when they were discussed in the home. Uh We don't want to raise people that are just people that regurgitate information. It needs to be more than memorization. Uh huh. It needs to be understanding. It needs to be a heart connect. It needs to be a love relationship. Amen. And one reason why I believe some would steer clear from further discussion in their home about what is preached or taught at the church is because it may convict or incriminate the teacher. And I'm not talking about the pastor. 
I'm not going to talk about at home what they talked about church and try to endorse it here because they'll already see we got a double standard. So there's a failure, failure in the teaching because the teacher's not yet learned the lesson. Oh, faith-driven, family-driven faith. And so the words are, and I'm not throwing off on anybody, but the saying is, I want my kids to have the opportunity I never had. Then just don't take them to church. Then just don't take them to church to be taught, but teach and emulate it before them at home, in public. In pr- I want them to have the opportunity I never had. The opportunity goes beyond just having them a church. It's having that lifestyle at home. It's having that doctrine at home. It's having that same word at church at home. If you don't want them to miss the opportunity, live it at home and teach them diligently. Because folks, what are we conveying? If we're prodding them to learn the lessons we're not willing to learn ourselves. How do you do that? In that we're, we're conveying something. Honey, this is very important. But not so important that I'm going to comply. Knock on wood. Verse 8 told them, Deuteronomy 6, 8, I'm taking my time today. You all go hang with me? Yes, you are. God bless you. I can get this off my heart today. Deuteronomy 6 and 8. He said, you shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, upon thy head, or upon as frontlets upon your eyes. These these little things. It, it had those words of Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They had those. They were in little boxes and they would put them uh, there uh, between their eyelids or they would wear them upon their hand, this words of God. And also this binding. Listen to me, just very, very basic here, very simple. But the binding on, on the head or, or on the hand, this, this commandment, this ownership, this love relationship with God could very possibly uh, be referring to the fact that if they'd have it on their hand or on the frontlet of their head, that it could refer to the fact that all of their actions, everybody say hands, and all of their thoughts, frontlet, the foreheads, were to be bound up in God's will and God's word. (laughs) Because see, the Old Testament Jews were to show an outward difference in in their clothing, the clothing they wore, the foods that they ate, the customs that they kept, insomuch so that they, they would be easily distinguished from the nations around them. Some don't want to practice this today in their families because they're afraid their child will have a sense of missing out on something that others have. You know what? You're exactly right. There are several things I missed out on. I missed out on vomiting from a hangover. I missed out on receiving an STD or worse from having sex outside of the covenant of marriage. 
I have nothing against sports, but as a kid growing up, they had to involve us in sports because a lot of times practices took place on church nights. And so I missed out on something like that, becoming a God to me rather than my God. Our children can't see how we think, but they can see the results of our thoughts demonstrated in how we act. Proverbs 23, 7, and I'm hastening, I really am, but I might drag my feet a little. The Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, also, also mine, heart, mine, so many times are interchangeable in the Proverbs and the Psalms. For as he thinketh in his heart, mine or so, so is he. They might not be able to see how you think, but how you think is how you are. Mm -hmm. And if you're worried about living up to the world standards, hear me? We're worried about that? If that's, that's the goal, then we're teaching our kids that that should be their aspiration and not the church. But if it's God's standards, then that becomes the high watermark for life. Verse number nine, go there very quickly. I'm wearing these folks out. I'm still good to go. And thou shalt write them upon the post. Everybody say, thy, thy house. And on, everybody say, thy, thy gates. This little word, it's wrapped up, putting boxes on the post and on the gates. Listen to me. It's good to have it at church. But it needs to be at the entrances to our homes. Why? So that it might be the gauged, the gauge for what is allowed in your family. Mm -hmm. It gauges what happens around church. But is there anything there to gauge that same? Uh-huh. That same integrity at home. Your post. Your gate. The Bible says Philippians 4.8. I'm hurrying. I really am. You don't see it, but I am. Finally, brethren, here's a good gauge. Man, throw this one on the doorpost of your house. What sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of a good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And as a man thinketh, so is he. Now, I, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but it did. it. I looked up at each of those individual words, true, honest, just, lovely, good report. And I found that true in the Greek is what sort of things are true, whatever things are not concealing. That's what it means. Whatsoever things are not concealing. Whatsoever things are honest or whatsoever things are honorable. Whatsoever things are just. Listen to it. In the Greek, whatsoever things are innocent. Whatsoever things are pure. Very basic. Whatsoever things are clean. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are acceptable. Whatsoever things are of a good report. Listen to this. Whatsoever things are well spoken of and reputable. Pause. Whatsoever things are well spoken of. According to God. 
Because there's things well spoken of according to the world that what's on my doorpost and gate would have never allowed in. And let me give the old saying that I brought from Hatchbin, if you ever see the world beating a path towards something and you think you should go too, you better run the other direction. Because if it's popular with them, it's probably unpopular with the church. Family-driven faith. He said, if there be any virtue, uh or if there be any excellence, or if there be any praise, if it be commendable, then think on those things. Folks, we need something at the entrance of our homes that will help filter what's brought into our homes, that will help filter the entertainment we bring in our homes, the information we allow in our homes, the content that comes in our homes. And it's not just what comes in our home, but who. Look at the pronouns in Hebrews 6. I'm preaching enough this morning. We can come back tonight and sing songs and shout and dance. Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 20. Come back tonight. Look at, look at, look at the changing of pronouns. And he says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What meaneth the testimonies? Blah, blah, blah. Look, the Bible says, Which the Lord our God hath commanded you. Notice the, the pronoun. You. So the child is seeing the covenant as belonging to the parent. But around verses 24 and 25, it switches here. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. He hath commanded us. So in the beginning, it looks like the, the, the covenant belongs to the parent. But family time includes the child and says, the emphasis is not just on me. It includes and encompasses you. These statutes, these commands, they're given to us and so you can stand with me this morning we must transmit our spiritual heritage to the next generation and once again we can't just regurgitate history we got to transmit spiritual heritage to the next generation the Bible says and I close with this Psalms 145 and verse 4 it says one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall Declare thy mighty acts. The word praise there in Psalms in the Old Testament Hebrew means one generation shall commend thy works to another. Dictionary meaning of commend is basically this. One generation shall recommend thy works to another. One generation should entrust thy works to another. One generation should give charge of your works to one generation should deliver with confidence the works to another and a simple synonym to this and it's just a phrase one generation shall hand it to another family driven faith we can bow our heads today and uh, say a prayer here this morning thank you for listening If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.